0: Welcome to the B2B Thought Leadership Podcast, where it's our job to share insights on how you can become the go-to thought leader in your industry. I'm your host, Alejandro Sanoja, founder and digital strategist at Latin Presarios. And today our guest is Andy Canales. Andy, Houston Business Journal 40 Under 40, Pro Hispanic Brillante Award in Educational Excellence, Houston Texans Campeón de la Comunidad, Comcast Hispanic Hero. Children at Risk Rising starting in Child Advocacy, Teach for America Champion for Education, Ford Board of director, Directors Appointments, Harris County Leadership ISD Fellow and Senior American Leadership Forum Fellow. On top of that, you actually have a job, which is the Executive Director of the Greater Houston Latino for Education. I know you're also the Chair of the Latino Texas PAC. All of this started with your parents who fled the Civil War in El Salvador and immigrated to Los Angeles, California. It's obvious that you've built a strong personal brand. You have a strong reputation. Andy, when your name enters a professional conversation in your industry, what do you think are the thoughts and emotions that come up
1: for the people having that conversation? Well, thank you, Alejandro, for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you and and to visit with your audience. Um, I think that... You know, I I learned a long time ago to anchor everything that I do in my story, because um, all of our stories, your story, my story, the story of the people that are listening to this, uh, really shapes all of our paths. The things that we're passionate about, the things that we do, um, how we behave, the expectations that we have for our lives. And like many of us, my story stems from... Um, my parents. That's where it begins. And like you mentioned, my parents both immigrated from El Salvador in the 1980s, fleeing a brutal civil war there. And so I've learned over time how much um, that beginning of my story means to me and how much it has shaped who I am. So my identity um, centers around that story. So Mm -hmm. when I walk into a room or I work with a set of individuals or organizations, what they may feel or what words may come across their mind is I would hope authenticity, passion, um, a lifelong journey from the inner city to college, to a career that my parents could just dream about from where they came from. And I think just a commitment to our community, given where I come from.
0: Andy, it's obvious that you pay attention to the product of who you are with your skills and and all this time that you've taken to build your skills, leadership, fellowships. But also I've noticed that you pay attention to the packaging of who you are as a product and the change you want to happen. You're always well-dressed. You always have something good to say. I remember uh, when we did our first retreat, you had the thank you cards already prepared. It's obvious that you're thinking ahead, not only about what you deliver professionally, but about the experience of of who Andy is as a professional. And at what point in your career did you start to pay attention To all of this so called small things of
1: everything other than doing your job. Yeah. Wow. Another great question. Well, I, you know, I think that it's something that I've heard for a long time that I know is true is that uh, people may forget what you say, Mm -hmm. but they will never forget uh, how you made them feel. And I think there are tons of people that I'm sure you and the people listening to this uh, podcast and myself can think of either parents, mentors, teachers, friends, colleagues, that we will always remember. We may not remember the exact words, but we'll remember how they made us feel, either in a bad way or in a good way. And what I learned is that given that people will remember um, you for the way that you make them feel. It's really important that you do things to make people feel like they are part of your team, that uh, they are respected, mm-hmm. and that they are heard. I think when we as human beings feel that, because all of us have a desire to be seen and to be heard, when when leaders and people. Do small things that make you feel that um, they'll remember you for a long time, and it's a key aspect um, that I think is, is, a, is a part of our leadership journey.
0: I absolutely agree with that, Andy. Is, is this something that you somehow learn on your own, right? Because these are the so called soft skills. People want to get certifications, get degrees. But sometimes the speaking, the thank you note, all those little skills get forgotten. So is this something that either did you find it through books? Did you had a mentor that, that guided you through this journey, through getting into those fellowships? Like, Was this a plan that you had? Was somebody guiding you? How, how did it happen that you ended up here with, with such a great personal brand and reputation?
1: Yeah. You know, I'm observant. So I observe people that I admire. Um, And I'm not talking about famous people. I'm talking about managers, uh, people on boards that um, I aspire to be more like or aspire to be like one day. And so over the years, I I have observed what managers and what leaders that I respect, what are the types of things that they do? Um, to make people seen, to make people heard, and to make people want to follow them. And so I've taken a lot of mental notes over the years, and I've picked up on a lot of these things. Um, I know that you mentioned, you know, in one of the meetings that you and I were in, in I, I had thank you notes um, at the end of the retreat because I knew people had invested their time um, and their energy in being a part of that board experience that I was facilitating. Well, I remember seeing that action from the previous board chair. Um, And so I really just kind of mimicked that action. And so I think the key um, is to really be, uh, to, to identify, I think, people in your life or even famous people that you admire and to be observant about what are the things that they do, because those are the things that have helped them get to where they're at. And then three, to start to do those things. Andy, if we were, let's say,
0: we're doing another project together and we're going to put together a guide for any Latino profession, young Latinos out there, either that they were born here or like us, that they, at some point in their life, young or a little bit older, they came to this country and and we want to help them be as successful as possible in their careers. We want to help them achieve that the great reputation that you have achieved. And I'm sure that this is just a little bit of, when we look at the end of your career, what you have achieved so far, it's gonna look like maybe 10%. So if we, were, if we were building that guide together, what would be the, the two, three, five things that you would recommend them to do? If we we're building a roadmap, let's say go to college, I don't know, sign for some uh, leadership fellowships, like what would that plan
1: look like? Um, I think the first thing would be to expand your expectations. Um, so I think we are all to some extent a product of our environment. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what we don't know. So for me personally, I grew up in the inner city um, I grew up low income. My mom was a housekeeper and my dad was a mechanic. And um, during the summers, I used to help my mom clean houses in the rich parts of Los Angeles. And that was an interesting experience for me because it opened my eyes um, to other parts and realities of our city that then sparked other thoughts for me about what's possible. Um, especially given the circumstance that I was growing up in. So in a weird way, cleaning houses in the rich parts of LA actually challenged or expanded some of the expectations that I had about this world and this life. So I think that would be the first thing. The second thing that I would encourage people to have in their guide would be to not be afraid to ask for things. And we can touch on that a little bit more, but, whenever I look at my career trajectory and career, I mean, from the time I was in, in school, K through 12, I have always advocated for myself because I expected to have a great education. And so I can tell you many different stories about how I've done that over the years and how I do that to this day. I advocate for, the causes that I'm involved in, I advocate for the organization that I lead, the leaders that I support, and, and the kids that I'm hoping, you know, um, education will improve for. So that's the second thing as I would say to ask. And then the third thing that I would encourage people um, to include in their guide would be to constantly learn. And I, I know you mentioned, for instance, going to college, that for a lot of people, gives them a pathway to a completely different quality of life, but it doesn't have to just be college. It has to be uh, a passion for being a lifelong learner and expanding your knowledge base. Um, We are so fortunate to live in a time where you can pick up So many books on so many things Mm -hmm. that before didn't, maybe was not as accessible. And so the more knowledge you accumulate and the more expertise that you build, both from reading, but also from work experience, the better you're going to be able to position yourself uh, to do the things that you want to do.
0: You touched on so many great points, Andy. Uh, of course, the easier one would be to talk about books, but I do that all the time. So I don't I don't want to go there. You mentioned two other good ones. Let's one you mentioned about advocating for yourself. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Let's table that. I wanna I wanna touch on something more important that that you mentioned that I think we don't do well in in Latin America in general, which is asking. I remember that the first time I had I was closing a five-figure deal, I had to practice in the mirror because I thought it was a lot of money. And, and I just thought like it was crazy to, to close a deal like that. And then it happened like nothing. And I was like, huh. But I had to practice like over and over to say the figure because it's like, oh, that, it felt uncomfortable. Right. And, and I know you're in the same position where you're asking for money, you're asking for people's time. So what do you think needs to change? Like, what was the process of getting comfortable with asking for resources for, and for time when, when being in front of other people?
1: Yeah. Well, I listened to a podcast, um, a very, very short podcast that really opened my eyes. And it was an experiment that someone who started their own business did to build that courage to be able to ask for things because he realized early on that in order to be successful in his business, he was going to have to get more comfortable asking for things. Mm -hmm. So whether you're starting a nonprofit, a startup, a business, you have to get comfortable with asking for things. And so this person was in that position. So he embarked on an experiment where he decided to ask a hundred different people for a hundred different things. So he went up to a stranger on the street and asked if he could borrow $100. He went up to um, after ordering burgers, uh, burger and fries um, at a restaurant and eating and finishing his meal. He went back to the counter and said, can I have a burger refill? And the person said, what's a burger refill? And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he said, oh, it's when you just get uh, another burger after you're finished. And I think that person said, huh, that, you know, that's interesting. Well, let me look into that. He went to his neighbor next door and said, "You know, is it okay if I plant something in your yard? And the neighbor said, no. And then he did something that was powerful. He said, why not? So he followed up mm-hmm. and the neighbor said, because I don't really like gardening, but the person in front of us does. And so he went to the person, he got a referral, he went to the person in front of him and, and he was able to plant the, the flower or whatever. And so um, of the 100 asks that he made, 51 people said yes. Wow. Which is not bad, like 51%, yeah. um, you know, uh, people said yes. So I listened to that podcast and then I started to put it into practice and so I myself started asking for a lot of different things in building the organization that I lead now. I asked for people to participate and believe in the programs that we're running. I asked my colleagues and my team to help me accomplish certain things because it's it's not just me doing the work, it's a, it takes a whole team to do the work. I ask funders for money to help pay the salaries and help cover the operations of what it takes for us to run this organization and the programs that we're running in the community. Um, And as I asked, particularly for money, what I realized was that I was not comfortable asking for money. And I had a few funders who actually gave me some advice. Um, I remember one funder particularly, um, I had a meeting with this funder and I was introducing myself and sharing more about the organization. And we met for a whole hour and I closed the meeting and I left. And as we were walking outside, you know, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, can I give you some advice among friends? He's like, you should have asked me for money. Like if I'm meeting with someone like you, who I know is starting your own organization, I expect that you're gonna ask for money. And all I can say is no. And folks that are used to being asked uh, for money, they're they're used to it. So they're not gonna take offense at you asking for money. And so all of those things just started to shift my perspective about asking for things. it started to lessen the intensity that I felt about asking for money specifically. And I just started to build my comfort level, almost like working out a muscle. Like The more I, the more I did it over time, the more comfortable I became.
0: Wow, that's, that's such a great point. Because I've noticed that, I don't know if it's, if it's a Latino thing, but I noticed that I also don't ask for a lot. And and I'm not comfortable with it. I, I rather figure it out. Um, and I know um, recently I've been reading some research, and, and it happens a lot that when you come from a family that has abundance, you're used to having things, right? And there's not a lot of no's because there's that abundance, right? Like, um in and, and I don't know, and have you find that there's any any correlation to that when when you go into the the Latino population, is it is it an issue in us asking for things more than any other communities or is it just in general the human, do you find that most humans just have to work on that muscle to, to yeah. be comfortable with asking?
1: Well, I, I think that it's definitely an issue in our community. Um, I, I think number one, speaking up is an issue in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, we're often in our culture ingrained in us that respect is really important, respeto. And what that often means sometimes is just being quiet, not questioning, perhaps being soft spoken And um, you know, I, I think that that impacts the way that we often voice our concerns or our needs. So I think that is the the, the first issue. And um, I think the second thing is, when you come from a low-income background, uh, you may perceive a certain number to be a lot of money. Mm -hmm. However, someone else that comes from a completely different socioeconomic background You know, by nature of the frames, the frame of lens that they they look at things, they may perceive that same number as not being that much money, right? And so, I think you, if you are the first one in your family to graduate from college or to move up socioeconomically, it takes a lot of reframing and experience to think about what really is significant, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, growing up with a household income of twenty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars may sound like a lot. Correct. <laughs> and so, um, and I know that's meaningful for a lot of families, but if you want to go beyond that, the, you, there's a whole process that you have to go through to challenge your expectations.
0: Yeah, absolutely absolutely and um that reminds me of that um i think it was a four minute mile that for years nobody broke the record and then somebody Mm -hmm. broke it and and everybody a lot of people broke it because they understood it was possible right so i think in our communities something is happening around asking and especially money that we just haven't seen it. So we think it's impossible, right? Or we haven't seen it in our community. So I think that's a great point. And I think that connects a lot with the other point that we were mentioning, which is advocating for yourself. This is something that I remember, especially doing that transition. I did undergrad in Venezuela. I did grad school here. And here, there's a lot about the 30-second pitch. There's a lot about talking about yourself and in telling your stories you don't do any of that in, in Venezuela. And it was a little bit uncomfortable at the beginning. What was your experience in getting comfortable with promoting yourself? How do you how do you deal with the typical fear of sounding egotistical when mm-hmm. you're doing self-promotion?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I remember when when I was growing up, I grew up as I mentioned in a low income household and my parents through a lot of hard work um, were able to manage to save enough money to buy a home in Los Angeles at the time which is now unbelievable but it goes to show you how much the cost of living has changed. That at the time a housekeeper and a mechanic could buy a home, right? So we bought a home when I was in going into seventh grade and the home that my parents bought in LA um, zoned me to one of the worst performing schools in the county. And had they bought the house a few blocks over, I would have been zoned to one of the best performing schools in accounting. And I mentioned this to my middle school teacher Um, And very serendipitously, she said, my husband, my ex-husband is the principal of that school that is the best performing school. Let me see if I can schedule a meeting with him. So I will never forget to this day. We got that meeting scheduled. It was me and my mom. And um, I thought this would help. So I put together a folder of all my report cards in elementary school, um, of all the times I had one student of the month, um, everything that I thought was an accomplishment I had achieved in elementary school, I put it in a folder. And my mom and I took a bus and went over to Studio City and met with the principal, assistant principal and made the case about why they should, you know, allow me into that school. And I remember, you know, he said, there's nothing I can do for you because you're not zoned to the school. And my mom and I started crying because all we wanted was a good education for me. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, we got turned away and I went to a school that um, was pretty bad and I didn't really learn much. Um, My ticket out of poverty was that I got into a magnet high school that put me on the path to college. But what I learned from that experience, even though I was not successful, was to build up the courage to ask and to position yourself to be able to make an ask. And I did that um, throughout high school. I did that throughout college and it got me very far. You know, it got me admitted into college. It got me elected student body president. and it's helped me um, as I've led my career in the education nonprofit sector. Andy, the, there, there's a fine line
0: in and in I think you walk right on that line. There's a fine line between arrogance mm. and ego and just um, promoting yourself and then um, on the other side, there's never talking about you and your causes and, and what is it that you want to do. And of course, you have to always be there in a way so that you're promoting yourself so that you can have a bigger impact. And you have all of these awards, all of these accomplishments. I've been in several interactions with you and you never, ever sound arrogant. you It's almost as, as if you haven't achieved these things. It's almost as if you have a clone and that clone is... doing all the great things but when you're in the room you are just there to serve people is this something that and of course to achieve all these things and that's kind of like the paradox you have to have an ego you have to have ambitions you have to have something that that you want to do for some reasons so how do you balance that is that something do you journal about it do you have some okay i'm gonna ask about the cost and not about me like walk us through if somebody wants to achieve this great balance between ego and consciousness, between n- arrogance and, and maybe not speaking up for yourself, what would be the one, two, three things you would recommend them to do?
1: Now, yeah. well, number one, uh, well, first of all, thank you for your feedback. Um, number one, um, I would say just be comfortable that some people are gonna think you're an arrogant, an arrogant person right? Just that's, that's the way it's going to be. I actually remember I ran uh, for student body president in college and I won. um, And so I was the student body president. And I think anytime you run for public office, you have to have a certain level of ego to say like, I think I'm the best person to be in this position. Right. Um, And we all exercise A little bit of that whether it's applying for a job or whether it's you know doing x y and z but i remember that i had a best friend who went on a date and somehow i came up and she said oh yeah andy's one of my best friends and 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 he said oh that that guy's such an arrogant bastard and I remember her telling me that. And I was like, I've never even met the guy, but you know, I would campaigned for student body president. And that was the first time that I realized that, you know, I maybe come across a certain way to people that I just am not gonna be able to, I'm not gonna be able to control. And I'm just gonna be, have to get comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, like my mom says, "Como es que dice? ¿No, eres, no eres una monedita de oro, de oro. para que le caigas bien a todos. so so um so that's the first thing I think the second thing um is there's things that I've done over the years to try to you know operate with humility so as much as possible I never try to I when appropriate I usually use we right Mm -hmm. so we did this, we did this. I highlight and I shout out the people on my team who helped contribute to to progress and to the success that sometimes is attributed to me because I happen to be the face of the effort or of the organization. Um, Number three, I I appreciate people. Um, That could be a simple text. It could be a simple shout out. It could be a note. It could be Remembering them on their birthdays. I think there's other people that do that much better than I do. Um, there's people that will always remember your birthday, and mm-hmm. I think that's a great skill set. People remembering your birthday and remembering your name. Um, I think four is just getting feedback and and looking at how you sound and how you come across, mm-hmm. and just operating from a center of. Um, I am not better than anyone else and um, there's always something for me to learn from others. And I am a vessel with certain advantages and privileges that I'm lucky to use to help advance a cause that I'm passionate about. And my family uh, has always remarked that they've always given me that feedback they've always said um, you know I, I can meet I can go from meeting with a funder in River Oaks to hanging out at a Carnasada in A-Leaf. Mm-hmm. and I can code switch and they've always said like even though you're the only one in the family with a bachelor and a master's degree you can't really tell mm-hmm. right and so it's just something that, You know, I kind of operate, but there's also balance because then you have to, especially in this day and age, you have to promote yourself, Mm -hmm. right? So you take everything I just mentioned, and then you have to promote yourself and your brand to be able to push your work forward. And sometimes that feels uncomfortable. Sometimes I don't like it. Um, Sometimes it makes me feel like, ugh. But I do it because I know it's necessary. It's oftentimes the only way that people find out about your work is if they see a social media post or they see an article or something. Um, So I've gotten a little bit more comfortable with feeling uncomfortable whenever I have to do those things. But what's important is just, just staying true to yourself inside um and just being Uh humble about it as much as possible
0: so true and you bring up a great point because i think it's grand cardone that says that if you can get half of the country to hate you you have a shot at being president (laughs) half of the country to know who you are and hate you and you have a good shot at being president so absolutely agree that you cannot be responsible of everybody else's feelings you have to do what you think it's it's best for yourself so talking about that of course that self-promotion that brand those achievements a lot of that is based on whether we like it or not on first impressions Mm -hmm. so in that moment when Andy walks into a room and when people ask you what do you do what is your typical answer
1: yeah yeah Well, first of all, I try to smile. You know, people remember smiles. We are actually programmed to be attracted to smiles. Um, There's a book that I'm reading called The Hidden Brain about all of the things that um, our brain does unconsciously to influence the perceptions and the decisions that we take every day. And just a quick thing about smiles, they found that when uh, cars have that grill in front of them that is mm-hmm. shaped in the way of a smile, they were more likely to sell than cars that had a grill that were shaped in a way of a frown. That yeah. is how powerful a smile is and how much we're attracted to smiles. So I try to smile and I I love to smile and I appreciate humor So that is one of the things that I naturally do or consciously do to try to create a positive first impression. The second thing is I tell my story. So people will um, forget what you're selling them about. They will forget what programs and services you're offering, but they'll remember your why. Mm-hmm. And they'll remember stories, right? Now you have to practice, though, because you have to be able to tell your story in maybe 90 seconds or less. Mm-hmm. And you can't tell every event that has been meaningful to you. You have to choose one that reflects a significant part of who you are and why it motivates you to do the work that you are selling others to invest in or to be a part of. Um, I've had people that I've supported financially uh, our organization that have said, I'm not as invested in that effort, but I'm invested in your leadership. So mm-hmm. I'm choosing to invest because I believe in you. And oftentimes I can't lead people to that place by telling them what I'm going to do. I have to lead them to that place by telling them who I am. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have a,
1: so let's say,
0: well, we could go into that, that typical answer. Like if you were saying to somebody, let's say you have that moment for that 90 second pitch, how does that look right now? What would that be? If anybody listening, they want to, they want to learn more about exactly what is it that you do when you're in the causes that you're supporting out there? What does that look
1: like? Yeah. Well, you know, if I was meeting you, Alejandro, I'd say it's so nice to meet you. And, um, you know, I saw that, you know, you also come from a a different country, Venezuela, just like my parents came from El Salvador. Um, You know, for me, the work that I'm leading now starts with where I come from. And that begins with my parents, both immigrants who came from El Salvador fleeing a brutal civil war. Um, My mom was a housekeeper, my dad was a lay. Um, I was a mechanic, I grew up in inner city LA. And um, my dream growing up, cleaning houses with my mom every summer in the rich parts of LA was to go to a school in one of those neighborhoods. Um, And that for me was Pepperdine in Malibu or UCLA in Bel Air. And um, that dream seemed like a far-fetched reality given the situation that I was growing up in. But through the combination of hard work some great teachers along the way and some serendipity as well, I was able to become the first one in my family to attend and graduate from college in the same place, Pepperdine University in Malibu, where I used to help my mom clean houses in. And because of that experience, I am passionate about making a difference and expanding opportunity to the kids who are growing up in the shoes I was once in. So I'm excited to share more about what that work looks like and how you can be a part of it, Andy.
0: I've known you for a while. I know your story, and we're speaking here, and I'm getting excited. I want to go to schools and and help Latinos, and and I'm get like my se me están parando los pelos. So obviously, this is this is a great story because it has the power to cause that you've talked about it, right? Like people have decided to invest in you just because they believe in you, not so much in the cost. Is the, obviously this is a great story. And is this a story that you've worked on? Like, what was the shape of that? Maybe 10 years ago, you introduced yourself, Andy Canales, and that's it. Now you have this great story that, you know, has great reactions, um, Is this something that you've worked on? Has somebody given you feedback? Like how do we end up with this amazing story that has the power to create these emotions even in somebody that knows the story?
1: Yeah. Oh, I've gotten a lot of feedback. So that's really important. Ask your friends, ask your colleagues at work for feedback. And um, if you and I were meeting, I just shared this, right? And then maybe took me I would think we can look back at the, at the video, but maybe it took me about 90 seconds or so. I didn't tell you the whole story about how I got to Pepperdine. Now, usually when I meet with people and I share just what I shared with you, it, especially if they're familiar with Pepperdine, if they have vacation in L.A. and they've driven through Malibu or gone to Zuma Beach or Santa Monica, etc., The next thing they ask is, how did you go from the inner city to Malibu? And that's when I add another story that adds a little bit more color to that. Now, if I'm doing a pitch and I have eight minutes, for instance, maybe I'll tell the whole story and take about two and a half minutes if I have that time. If I'm meeting with someone and I'm trying to make an impression and spark a conversation, I may take 60 or 90 seconds, like I just said, to say that. So there, are, there is a story that you have to package for different situations depending on the time, the circumstances, the vibe, and the feeling of the room. Um, and then secondly, the feedback that I received. So 10 years ago, probably I was pointing to too many events in my journey because there's so many meaningful events in our lives. In my life, your life, the people are listening to this but you can't tell every event. You have to choose one. And remember as kids, we learned about climax, you know, beginning climax, ending characters, look up all of the elements that make a good story. Look at, look at the elements that make mm-hmm. a story, a compelling movie, right? There's usually some sort of struggle, a challenge, and then there's a decision that you have to make. Mm -hmm. And as you're sharing that, people are hooked in like, so what did you do next? Well, this is what I did next, right? And so when you're telling the story in that manner, in the same way that filmmakers tell stories, in the same way that authors shape stories, um, in the same way that maybe you remember a teacher reading a story to you in the classroom, if you follow that same format, you're gonna hook whoever you're talking to.
0: Absolutely, agree, Andy. And uh, I think we need about 10 hours of interviewing (laughs) time because I have so many questions. And I do think that we should, most of us should follow the Andy model in in most of the things you're doing, because I think um, you are a great role model, you're doing great, and it's all about the causes that you're supporting. Um, I know we're running short on time. Maybe we'll find some time to do episode two. But for now, I'm sure whoever's listening to this, unless they're a psychopath, they have to be connecting with your story and your causes and and the emotion of the impact that you're having in the world. So what would be your call to action for the audience? What what would that, talking about asking, right? What would be that ask? Is it to visit some website or something that you're doing? Is it to donate for a cause? Another 30 second pitch, Andy Canales, what would be that ask for the audience that are listening to this podcast?
1: Yeah, well, um, if you believe that meaningful representation matters, and if you remember to a time where you felt like your voice was not heard and that, Instilled in you an understanding that it's really important for all of us to have representation. If that cause motivates you or compel- compels you, I would encourage you to visit latinosforeducation.org, where you can either apply to be a part of our programs, you can either share the opportunities with others, you can either donate financially if you're able to do so. Um, and you can see my contact information if you'd like to learn more. Thank you very much, Andy. We'll make sure to link out to
0: the, the website, the donation page, and, and everything else. And thank you once again. I know you are a very, very busy man. There's uh, theories out there that, um, that you have a clone or maybe several <laughs> clones, and that's how you get things done. So, so maybe we'll have to schedule some time to talk about that. But thank you very much for making the time, Andy, and for being here in the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Alejandro. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for subscribing to the B2B Thought Leadership Podcast. It's our goal to help you become the go-to thought leader in your niche. That's why we do these interviews and we create the content. So if you want more of it, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and other podcast platforms and especially subscribe to the YouTube channel. Click that subscription button, click the notification bell so that whenever new content comes out, you are the first to know about it. Thanks again and see you in the next episode.